Thank you for joining us on the Crossroads Church podcast. We are so excited to have you as part of our family. We're a community where people are welcomed home, built up, and sent out. Our prayer is for you to find meaningful relationship and belonging with both God and His people. We'd love to connect with you. Download the Crossroads Church app, follow us on Facebook or Instagram, or simply send us an email at info at mycrossroads.co. We pray that as you hear this message, you encounter Jesus and all that he has in store for you. Amen. Why don't you just say to somebody, God is all powerful. Someone in here needs to hear that today. I know I do. Come on, somebody say that. God is all powerful. Woo! Yes, he is indeed. Well, good morning, everybody. It is good to be with you all again today. Thank you, guys. You guys are amazing. Can we celebrate our team that have served us so generously this morning again? It's always a joy and a privilege to be amongst family here. That's what Crossroads is to us. It's family. And it's always a joy and a, a privilege and a pleasure to be here. For those who don't know this crazy guy that's standing in front of you today, my name is Mark Appleyard. Together with my wife, Julie, we are founders of Anathan Global Ministries and Anathan Business Solutions. Anathan Global Ministries, the Lord had called us now to open up microchurches wherever there's a yes. And so already in the last few years, we're now on three continents and five different countries where the Lord is opening doors for microchurches to move into the cracks and crevices of society. Uh, here in America, in Australia, in Nepal, in Europe, in Asia, the Lord is opening them up. And so we celebrate that and we, we're thankful for that and we want to impart that heart that says yes this morning to us all as we storm this mountain together in Jesus' name. And then through Anathan Business Solutions, we've been working with Christian business leaders, um, I think now it counts up around 20 countries around the world in the last six or seven years. And it's just a true privilege to know that a key part of our story started right here with you beautiful people of Crossroads Church. You know, with all the travel that we end up finding ourselves doing, Julie was saying this morning as we're getting ready, it might have actually been, might have been last night, but she goes, it's just been nice in some ways with COVID where we got to stop. She said, we've just been go, 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 go. And we would take between 60 to 70 flights in a year. It was getting pretty crazy there at one point. And so when you're traveling that much and you're in that many airports and you spend that much time on an airplane, it was really important to me to get a high quality neck pillow. I see, I'm not sure about you, but when I fall asleep like this, I wake up like this and, and you get that drool thing hanging down your mouth. It's really, really terrible but with, the, with the Express Spa Neck Pillow. Life took on a whole new level of comfort and satisfaction. I'm not here to sell the Express Spa Pillow, but if you're watching, I could be your guy. Um, so I would get in the plane with my, my Express Spa Pillow on, and, and people knew, at least my wife did, because she had her own as well, that this delineating line is our one square foot of glory. Because with this thing on, you could relax, you could rest. It was a beautiful thing. And when you get on those super long haul flights, and I know many of you have been on those before, in the dream liners, um, I don't know if you've been in a dream liner, but something magical happens about three or four hours into those super long haul flights. And that is the blue lights come on. 
And I'm not sure if you've seen, I don't know what color blue it is, but if they could sell that color, it would sell out in stores all across this country. This color blue comes on, you've got your neck pillow on, and it's just like sleep zone. It's like you're surrounded by a group of baby angels in your one square foot of space, and you're in the glory zone. I call it the blue zone, the comfort zone beautiful thing you know not all our life has been spent in airports and on airplanes in fact those of you who know a little bit of our story know that I spent a good chunk of my life in fact about seven years of my life working on heavy industrial zones and when I say heavy industrial I'm talking high octane kind of heavy industrial zones I worked on steel mills, I worked in nickel refineries, I worked on mining sites, both as an industrial maintenance electrician, troubleshooting, as well as an installation electrician. And I'm telling you, those places were high octane. Those places were hot. Those places were discomforting. Those places, the tools were dangerous. And everything was loud. In actual fact, when there was a problem on the production line in those, in those sorts of places, red lights would flash because you couldn't hear the problem and people were responding this was earmuff wearing red zone living kind of life it was high octane living blue zone red zone neck pillow or earmuffs having pastored churches on both sides of the world Having traveled a lot, I've learned a lot about discipleship, things of what to do and things what not to do, things we've corrected, things we've changed along the way. Some of the observations we've made have to do with the Western church and some of the changes we've had to make in our own thinking. See, what I realized some time ago is the Western model of discipleship tends to produce a particular result. People will go through a discipleship class and they'll learn good things and good truths, but when they graduate, they graduate with a certificate. And it's almost like graduating with a neck pillow. And the body of Christ, compared to what God has called her to be, becomes somewhat anesthetized. And they get in their little spot on a Sunday morning, their one, two square foot of space, and they're, don't you disrupt me. Don't disrupt my world. I don't want to come across one of those red zone believers. We know when they come, don't we? They're, they're the fanatical ones. They're the wild ones, the radical ones. They're the disruptors. And if I just sit still enough, long enough, they might, with their waving arms, get past me and go on to somebody else because I'm quite comfortable. Thanks very much in my blue zone life. Blue zone or red zone. Neck pillow or earmuffs. I believe God is in the business of building powerful people. Not ordinary people, powerful people earmuff wearing red zone living people who were raised up around this world to release the power of the kingdom of god now that's who god is that's his nature that's his character he's the all authoritative all powerful one and we are his children sons and daughters we're like our dad we too are called to be powerful people this morning, there's going to be an opportunity to make a decision for yourself. And I want to be really clear. I'm not here to manipulate anybody. That's the saddest existence under the sun. I'm here to provide an informed group of facts for you to make an informed decision. But I think this morning, there's some folks here that are just in a place of blue zone living. 
And they know that maybe God's stirring already. It's time to put down a neck pillow and take up some earmuffs to leave the blue zone and step into the red zone. While his name may not be mentioned in the big boardrooms of the world, maybe his exploits may never be spoken by the political or social elite of our society. Julie's grandfather was a man who influenced more people than most. Pastor Laurie, as he was affectionately known, was a quiet man. In fact, he was socially awkward around adults. But yet, he carried a quiet authority that when he walked into a classroom full of rowdy kids, a hush would fall and the presence of God would be there and he would teach them about a God of perfect love who loved them and died for them. But by the time he died in his 90s, he had ridden thousands upon thousands of miles on his bicycle he had driven thousands upon thousands more in his little blue combi van and he had taken the gospel message to thousands upon thousands of young people across southern Australia to the remotest parts of that region of the world. What's more, thousands upon thousands more did he reach through the mailbox curriculum that he would post in the mail. Many times when we were living in that part of the world, when people would discover that uh, my wife was Pastor Laurie's granddaughter, they would come up and share stories with her. Like, they just couldn't help it. He had such an impact on their life. And, and they would share stories and say things like, oh, I remember I was living in whoop, whoop, or yonder, yonder, you know, way out in the middle of nowhere. And, and him would walk this, him would ride this lowly figure on his bicycle with his homemade pedal organ, his electric train set that would tell the gospel story and his flannel graph. And, and I remember that I was either in a Sunday school class or he came to our school and how I heard about the message of Jesus for the very first time and it changed my life forever in the eyes of the world pastor Laurie was a relative nobody but in the eyes of heaven he was an earmuff wearing red zone living powerful person in the kingdom of God you see powerful people build powerful people just what powerful people do they can't help it and it takes powerful people to build powerful people. And powerful people in the kingdom of God use the resources of the kingdom to build the people around them in a powerful way. And you might say, well, Mark, what are those resources? Are those resources forced? I mean, do they force themselves onto people? No. Do they use coercion and, and do, they, do they, you know, just through belligerence, just smack people over the head with the Bibles because they're powerful people and they make things happen? No. Do they use subtle forms of manipulation to control people to get their own way? No. They use three powerful kingdom tools. Love, truth, and trust love, truth, and trust. And they are the most powerful things under heaven that cut through the nonsense and get to the heart of people. Powerful
powerful people. Build powerful people. Neck pillow or earmuffs, blue zone or red zone. God is calling you to be a powerful person in the kingdom of God. Those three powerful tools are love, truth, and trust. Jesus is known for saying many things. I would argue that perhaps the two most famous things are known as the great statements of Jesus. And those two great statements, you well know, they're the great command, the commission and the great commandment. <clears throat> what did Jesus say in the, in the great commission? Go into all the world. Control every outcome to semi-predictable outcomes and then release people into their freedoms, but their freedoms are capped by your own insecurities. I don't think he said that. No, he said go into all the world and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, teaching them everything I have commanded them. Here's what he commanded. Here's what the Bible says. It says where the Spirit of the Lord is, Lord is there is freedom. When you are free in Christ, you are free indeed so he's saying that the gospel message is a gospel of people who get to walk in the freedom of who they are made in the image of god when they come into an encounter with god when they're forgiven by the the jesus who died for them and rose again and brought them to new life you can't do that by controlling outcomes it doesn't work like that you can't do it by allowing your own insecurities to cap the freedoms of those that jesus come to set free doesn't work like that no the only way it works is by the other great the great commandment love the lord your god with all your soul heart all your soul all your mind love your neighbor as you love yourself practically speaking this looks like a powerful person who's made in the image of God, who has a love for God and a love for people that releases the people around them into the fullness of his in image also without fear or threat. That's what it looks like. It's people fully coming alive to who God created them to be powerful people build powerful people. It looks like a, a man riding as a lonely figure into town with nothing more than love for God and love for kids, who comes to tell of a magnificent God who loved them and died for them. Even to the remotest, remotest parts of the state in rowdy rooms full. It means releasing the power of the kingdom of God to you so it can be released through you to others as well. Powerful people. Blue zone, red zone, neck pillow, earmuffs. Which one do you want to raise up to be? Because that is who God is building. In uh, the book of 1 Corinthians in chapter, chapter 13, Paul eloquently states, it's been a, a chapter, I don't think I've done a wedding, and I've done many of them. I don't think I've done a wedding in Australia or here where that has not been a requested chapter. Why? Because it speaks so eloquently about love. You know, love is patient, love is kind, love is good, it's gentle, it keeps no record of wrongs, we all know. And then at the very end of that, he, he says these three things remain. Faith, hope, and love. Now, if Mark was writing this, he probably would have said the greatest of these is faith, right? Because it's in, without faith, it's impossible to please God. So that'd be a, a sensible conclusion. But no, he says the greatest of these is love. Love is the power tool of the kingdom of heaven. 
Love is like it's the world upside down to what we know. And I posit it's the world right side up because it's the way God intended it to be. Love is the highest goal. Paul slams it out of the park when he says that in 1 Corinthians 14 and verse 1. Just like Pastor Laurie, Christians have access to the powerful metric of the kingdom of heaven, the powerful metric of love. It's not a subject to be spoken about and just left on the floor. It's not a, it's not a nice ideal just to put on a, a little placard we might hang on our house and on, on our wall. No, love is the MO of God. Love is the power tool of heaven that he has given to us. Guess what? For the believer, love is not an option. Love has no opt-out clause. Love is up close. Love is dangerous. Love is real. Love is costly. Love always has a price tag attached to it. And we know that because God gave us that example when it said God so loved the world that he gave his only son. Oh, if God's going to put a big price tag to love, guess what? We're going to carry a price tag too because love always costs. This is high-octane, earmuff-wearing, red-zone living. This is building powerful people. Love is not in isolation. Love also comes in an inseparable relationship with truth and trust. Those of you who know our story know that and we spent four years here on the senior executive team uh, here at Crossroads. Now, four of, of just the greatest years of our life, and we're on a, a growth curve that had a trajectory that sort of looked a little like that during those four years, and it was just in, incredible. And we've kept those relationships. We run together in different things. In fact, uh, uh, our brother Walter traveled with us to Europe, I think, a bit over a year ago now, and we recorded some worship together in Norway and in the Netherlands. We, we just love and enjoy um, the heartbeat of what God's doing here. He's just continued to grow that. And, but in those four years, it was, you know, every Tuesday morning, we would have our senior executive meeting and we would have lots of things to celebrate and lots of things to be thankful for and give praise for. But in a church of this size, a healthy growing church, there was always probably an equal list of things that needed to be dealt with that were concerns or problems or issues, the nature of the game. And so it was inevitable, you're sort of looking forward to the praises if you're my personality. Yeah, come on, we can storm the mountain. And then suddenly it's like, oh, I've got to talk about this. <sighs> Boy, this just uh, sucks the Jesus out of me. No, oh, this is hard. Anyhow, so problem would come up and we'd all be looking, we'd all get that furrowed brow, but we've got our thinking face on, what are we going to do about this thing or that thing or whatever, or that conflict or this issue or whatever it might be. I was getting to know Jason, and Jason now serves on the board of Anathan Global. He's another one we've run with closely for many years. And, and as I was getting to know Jason, we'd all be sort of sitting in this sort of a circle, and <laughs> Jason would, would be responding quite differently to everybody else in the room when, you know, an issue would come up. And rather than pull his hair out, figuratively speaking, like most of us were doing, Jason would sit back, and a, and a smile would form across his bearded face, and then in that sort of soft Canadian way, a, a soft little chuckle that wasn't attempting to draw attention to himself would just, just start to form, and he'd just sort of laugh a little bit. And, you know, watching this week after week, it became, became very curious about what on earth was going on. And so I decided I'd do, you know, do something, take him out for lunch, because I had to get to the bottom of this. 
So we go to a restaurant just down here, we order, we talk a little bit about football, a little bit about weather, and now the pleasantries are out. I'm getting to the, the deal of why I've got him here. And I said, Matt, I've got to ask you a question before we talk about anything else. He goes, what's that? I said, well, you know the meetings, yeah? We actually just came out of one, that's right. I said, well, you know, in those meetings, I said, um, when we go through the praise, it's great, it's whatever, but when we hit one of these issues we've got to deal with, I said, I'm telling you, my response and your response look very, very different. In fact, your response is almost the polar opposite of what's going on in here. I said, I'm sitting there trying to figure out how am I going to deal with this one, man alive. You know, what scripture verses have we got here to help us through this, this navigate these woods? And I said, now look over there. And I said, you got this smile and you got the laugh. And I said, it's quiet. I know you're not trying to draw attention. I said, but what is that? And he did it again. He smiled and he laughed. I said, that's the one, right? That one right there. What is that? What's going on? He said, well, he said, honestly, he said, when those things, those times come, he said, I haven't got the first clue what to do. I have no idea. I'm not smart enough. I haven't had enough life experience for nine out of the ten of the things that suddenly we're confronted with. I'm just being honest. And he said, but here's the thing. He said, I know my always good, perfectly loving Heavenly Father. And, and I know that he's calling me to trust him in a new way. And I cannot wait to see what he's about to do. That answer rocked me. It rocked me back. And, and I remembered saying to him in that moment, I said, if I only ever learn one thing from you, if I only ever take one thing from this relationship, oh, may it be that. May that somehow deposit deep in my heart as well. Because I know, as I'm sure you know about your life, many times things come our way and we've got no idea. And we throw our hands in the air and, well, God's got to be distant, God's got to be silent, God's got to be something else. But Jason, in that revelation, opened up one of the most important passages of Scripture for me. He didn't even realize he was doing it, that I had ever, ever seen. John chapter 14, well known to all of us, I'm sure. If you've got a Bible there, it's worth opening it up. If you've got it on your phone, open it up. I know it'll be up here on the screen for the most part. But this, this whole concept that Jason told me about, you know, he knows God is perfect in his love. He, it tells me that he, had some, he understood the truth about God's character and nature. But then he said he was calling me to trust him in new ways. You see, Jason had, had bridged this gap that evangelical Christianity has struggled to bridge from, from all the reading that I've done. And the, and the gap is this, how do we get from here to here? How do we get from knowing about God to knowing God? And I believe he, he nailed it in when his response. So let's just read John 14, verse 1 and following. Don't let your hearts be troubled, Jesus says. Trust, let's say that together. Trust in God and trust also in me. There is more than enough room in my Father's home. Press pause there for a second. We've just understood right there in that statement the agenda of God, that you and I get to go home with him. That's where we belong. All right, where are we here? If this were not so, I would have told you that I am... Oh, I always get the one muddled. If this were not so, would I have told you that I am going to prepare a place for you? When everything is ready, I will come and get you so that you will always be with me where I am and you know the way to where I'm going. No, we do not, Lord, Thomas said. We've got no idea where you're going. So how on earth could we possibly know the way? Jesus told him, I am the way, the truth 
and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. If you had really known me, you would know who my Father is. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Philip said, Lord, show us the Father and we will be satisfied. Jesus replied, I have been with you all this time, Philip, and yet you still don't know who I am? Anyone who's seen me has seen the Father, so why are you asking me to show him to you? And I'll continue reading. Don't you believe, let's say that together, don't you believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words I speak are not my own, but my Father who lives in me, um, but my Father who lives in me does the work through me. Just believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or at least believe because of the works you've seen me do. Oh, I tell you the truth, anyone who believes in me will do the same works I have done and even greater works because I'm going to be with the Father. You can ask for anything in my name and I will do it so that the Son can bring glory to the Father. Yes, ask me for anything in my name and I will do it. And he goes on and on and on. Oh, actually, I'll continue. If you love me, obey my commands, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate who will never leave you. He is the Holy Spirit who leads into all truth. Talks about love in that chapter as well. Go home, take some time this afternoon, just sit with your favorite drink and, you know, your favorite music playing, and just sit and let that wash over you. Outside of the baptism of Jesus, this is arguably the, the most um, instructive revelation on the Trinity. You see, the baptism of Jesus, is, it's been said anyway that it's the only place you see the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit together. There's Jesus the Son. The Holy Spirit falls on him, descends on him like a dove, and the Father says, this is my Son in whom I'm well pleased. You see, here we, is, is the other place because we see the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And, and Jesus turns the tables on our understanding of truth. In fact, in that one statement when he says, I am the truth, he literally turned the world upside down for the believer. See, up until he made that statement, truth was a set of propositions and principles. It was based out of the law. Do this, that happens. Don't do this, that happens. But Jesus shifts the nature of the game when he says, I am the truth. Truth is no longer primarily about a set of principles or, or processes or anything like that. The truth is now a person, personified truth. This is who Jesus is. Powerful people live from that reality. And we see the beautiful picture of the Holy Spirit, that the Holy Spirit does what? He's going to lead you where? Into all truth. Who's all truth? Jesus. In other words, if you have an encounter with Holy Spirit and it doesn't lead you, to, lead you to Jesus, then it's probably a good question to ask, did I really just encounter the Holy Spirit? Because he's always going to give me a deeper revelation of Jesus. That's a great metric for us, you know, Christians who, like myself, we don't fully understand all this stuff. But if we've got these little metrics, they're really helpful to go, oh, I got a revelation of Jesus. I know Holy Spirit led me there. And what's Jesus going to do? Does it stop him? No, he's always going to take you to the Father. Because in his house is many rooms and he's going to go and prepare a place for us. He always wants to give us a fuller revelation of the Father. And he even said that to Philip. He goes, if you've seen the Father, you've seen me, you've seen the Father. So how does all this join the dots? It joins the dots like this in what Jason said. And if you write anything down this week, write this down. I'll say it two or three times. This is about the move from knowing God to knowing God. If you've struck and go, I have no idea how to understand, how to know that God's with me. Here it is. Motivated by love of God and love for people, 
powerful people activate truth about God's love through acts of trust in God's love. I'm going to say it again. Motivated by love of God and love for people. Powerful people activate truth about God's love through acts of trust in God's love. See, this is, the, this is a, a critical shift for us to understand. This is the shift when we, we know about God's love, we're motivated by God's love for us and we have a love for people. It cannot stay there based on the truth of who he is, that he not only wants to love us, but he wants to love the world through us. We step out as in trust in that truth. And what happens in that moment? We now encounter his perfect love again. This is vitally important and it mustn't be missed. You can go years sitting in church and you can miss this at, at, at 99 out of a thousand times. But I want to say it is the hinge upon which everything swings in discipleship and spiritual growth. You want to know God and know God, here it is. When you, motivated by love for God, know the truth about the fact that He loves you, wants to love the world through you. You know, love the Lord your God, love your neighbor as you love yourself. You step out, here's a chance to love someone. You step into that. You activate that truth with a trust step. You encounter Jesus. Here's what happens in encounter. When you encounter Jesus, your belief system changes. Many Christians think that believing more about God is knowing more stuff. No, it doesn't work that way. In fact, we're told if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord, there's the knowledge, believe in your where? Heart. Belief is a heart thing. Belief is an encounter thing. I cannot think myself to more belief. I can't do it. I'll think myself to judgment. I can do that. But I can't think myself to more belief because that comes from encounter. That's why Jesus said, if, if nothing else, believe what you saw me do. In other words, go back to those encounters, Philip. They're the, they're the key to really starting to open up the belief thing for you. And when, why, is, why is belief so important? Because belief is a container. And then it's a container that holds something that's very, very spiritual and is only a gift from God. Belief holds that's what belief does. You can have, never have more faith than your belief can hold. I'm making sense. How could you? What's the purpose? What's the point? If I don't have belief for something, then I certainly don't have faith for it. So we sit there, I have people many times over the years say, well, well, pastor, I just don't have enough faith for that. Well, okay, well, that's fair enough. Let's not go around chasing to squeeze ourselves tighter to manufacture more faith. Let's look at it as a belief issue. And if it's a belief issue, let's not sit down and think more things about God. Let's actually encounter God. What do you know about God? Well, I know he loves me. You know he loves you. Okay, do you have some love for some people? Yeah, okay. Do you know he wants to love them too? Yeah, okay. Find a need and go and meet it in Jesus' name. Take a step of trust. They take a step and they come back and they go, you'll never guess what happened. It was the most amazing thing and what didn't happen? All I did was buy a few groceries and give it to that poor person and just, and what's happening is the belief is increasing, the faith is growing and now they want to give some to the neighbor's dog. I mean, those people will just go anywhere to do anything. It says, this is how we move. It's the secret, Jason, in that one phrase gave us the key to building powerful people. That's what powerful people do. They, they see the image of God in themselves through the lens of a God who loves them and a lens of a God who loves the world. And they get other people around them and go, I want to help you to be that powerful person as well. And I don't want to put my own fears and insecurities there. Just go. You might make mistakes. You might fall. That's okay. Jesus gave the Great Commission and you the big Corinthian churches, but he gave it anyway. Let's get out there and 
try together. And I want to say this this morning. If you've come here this morning, you need to know that God is building you to be powerful. God is calling you out of blue zone, neck pillow living, if that's where you are, into earmuff wearing, red zone living, because there is a narrative in this land. And it is not only here, but it's growing around the world. And it's a narrative driven by the media. It's coming straight from the pits of hell. And it says, we are divided. We are racist. We hate. We're angry. We're this thing. We're that thing. And I want to say the lie is what the lie is. But powerful people don't believe that. Powerful people flip the narrative on its head and go, no, through acts of love of God for me and acts of love for my fellow man, I will step in and trust. And I will step in and trust. And I will step in and trust. And I will see the kingdom come upon the earth through the God of always perfect love. This is who we are. This is who we are. We are called to rewrite the narrative, not through belligerence, not through force, not through manipulation, but through the most powerful tool under heaven, the tool that cuts deep into the hearts of men, the tool that cuts deep into the cultural divides of this society, the truth that cuts the lies that are being fed to us as truth. It's the power tool of heaven. It is the power tool of love that is activated when the truth about God is acted upon with trust in God. Stories of Pastor Laurie I have, to, I have to share these, even though we probably should land the plane. But He was such a quiet man, very awkward around adults, and that's not you know, giving him a bad rap, it's just, that was just his character and his personality. In fact, I, I've been in several conversations when he was alive, and he'd be sitting in the room, and the adults trying to engage with him, and not only would he not engage, he literally would just fall asleep. Even in the middle of being asked the question, and then not only do that, but he had a snore on him. Man, if you could harness that, you could chop wood. I mean, it was incredible. And he would just sit there and, and just go and go and go. The guy, we struggled with adult conversation. But his love for kids was his calling. And so when he would do the mailbox club, many, many, many stories are told. In fact, when I was getting ready to meet him for the first time, I think Julie had shared some of these stories with me. So I'm, I'm coming in expecting this giant of a man who just took on the world by storm. And, um, and she would tell these stories and said, well, how he'd get these, sometimes take hundreds and hundreds of mailbox letters to the post office with not a cent in his pocket to pay for them with. And not just once, not just twice. This was actually a regular story, a regular narrative where he'd be on his way and just a quiet man, he'd sort of meander his way along and someone would stop him in the street and something along the lines of this kind of dialogue would happen. Maybe more a monologue. Um, but would say, are you Pastor Laurie? Yes. I believe we work for the same boss. And just shell out a heap of change to be the exact amount he needed to just continue on his way to post his letters. Okay, thank you. 
and off he'd go and post these letters. There are other stories again where in his van he'd stop off on his way to post the letters and would get out and go and collect whatever he was there to, to buy, the few little goodies or whatever it was, come out and just under his wiper blade there's the exact amount again. This is, this is the nature of, of powerful people who, who are earmuff wearing, red zone living. In the eyes of the world, Pastor Laurie would as a relative nobody. He will never be known of as someone who was a big history-making person, but in the eyes of heaven, he was an earmuff-wearing, red-zone-living, powerful person. This morning, God is calling you. Blue zone? Red zone? Neck pillow? Earmuffs? God has called you to be someone powerful. Powerful doesn't mean you're the loudest person in the room. Powerful doesn't mean you've got the greatest social networks. Powerful doesn't mean that you've got finances coming out the wazoo. Powerful means that you as an image of God facilitate environments that affect other image bearers of God who become walking in the fullness of their image also. That's what powerful people do. And it takes a powerful person to build a powerful person. And we are today in a hinge moment in this nation's history where God has entrusted to his powerful people the tools to rewrite the narrative that's being jammed down everybody's throats I don't care if you're left or right or neutral the narrative is coming out of left I, I look at news from all sides and I just look at it and think it's all angry news doesn't matter who I read it's all angry news we're here to rewrite the narrative. It's the, it's the needle and thread that God has woven through the fabric of history. God's people, motivated by love for him and love for neighbor, that take a step of faith based on what they know about him and change the course of history. I, I know me, and I will, we will finish up here. I know me. I, I go to sleep with the earmuffs on. That's my personality that's i'll go to sleep in that place i'm go 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 and something weird happens in the middle of my sleep i default to this i wake up in the morning and suddenly i'm back to neck pillow my comforts it's like oh gosh that was a hard job yesterday i don't really have to make that phone call no i don't really i might just you know just stop and put my feet up i'm just gonna sit back a while So I changed some things about my morning routine. And, and my wife, Julie, here can certainly testify to this. Every morning when I get out of bed, as I know me, I've got a neck pillow on. I've got to do something. I have to take a step to rip this thing off of me. And I say something like this. I say, Jesus, before these feet even hit the floor this morning, before you have even asked me a question, my answer is yes. Now direct these feet where you want them to go, and I mean it. <clears throat> Get that thing off of me. And then when I go and I, I wash up and I'm rinsing my face in the morning, and, and I'll, I'll just say, Jesus, I again say yes to encountering your perfect love and receiving it. And I say yes to doing whatever I can within the best of my abilities to love my wife, my kids, anyone you bring my way. Why do I pray a prayer like that? Because without doing that, 
It's not a religious exercise. This is called self-control, part of the fruit of the Spirit. This is a commanding of my spirit into alignment with the Spirit of God. And I'm making a choice every single day to put the neck pillow down, pick up the earmuffs and go, I'm ready to love. I might not do it perfect. I might fail by 8.15, but I'll get in there and I'll start again. I might fail again by 11.10, but I'll get up and I'll start again. I continue to go and continue to go to love the world the best I know how because God doesn't only want to love me, he wants to love the world through me to others. This is red zone living. This is costly living. This type of living has a price tag. It's dangerous. It hurts. It's really uncomfortable. But it's the only way we can become the powerful people God is calling us to be. I'm going to to close my eyes and ask you to close your eyes in just a few moments. Like I said, you saw there's a preacher go, how do you finish a message? And you say, do you finish? Let's go. But I just don't want to, I'm no interest in, you know, manipulation of any description. I just want to create an opportunity because red zone living starts with a public lifestyle. It starts with being the person that stands out a little bit. And there's no safer place to stand out than right here. This is a judgment-free zone right here. It's no safer place than right in this moment to stand out. And so I'm, I'm going to invite those that want to, and I really respect the integrity of those who don't. Truly, I do. This is not about what I did, so I should... No, no interest in that. Respect your integrity. But if you're going, you know what, Mark? I've been holding on to that neck pillow, and I know I'm called to something more. And I know while I'm holding on to this, I never get to that. I know I've got to move from knowing God to knowing God, from belief about God to to living with God. I know I've got to make that shift. And today, I'm going to pick those earmuffs on metaphorically and slap them on and go, you know what, Jesus, I'm ready to go. When I step out of here, I'm saying yes to anything you put in my way. I'm saying yes to any question that comes. I'm saying yes because I want to be a powerful person that you've called me to be. I invite you to stand. So with our eyes closed and our heads bowed, Lord, we say, speak into our hearts. You've already been working way before today. Maybe it's that nagging thought that has just been pushed to the back of the mind that you've brought it front and center today. Lord, we choose to say yes. We choose to stand. Choose to put down the neck pillow in the blue zone and actually step into the red zone, put the earmuffs on and become a powerful person who is not afraid of the freedom, of the exercise of freedoms of other people around us who are growing in their relationship with you. Lord, but instead we empower people through love. We run after them, we go, we be who you've called us to be, Lord. I want to live in the red zone. So today I choose to stand in front of my peers and say, count me in. So if that's you in this moment, again, there's no manipulation. This is you and God. This is your moment to stand if you want to respond that way.
Thanks again for listening to the Crossroads Podcast. Check back with us weekly to hear more messages. We hope you have a blessed day.